And in last week's study, we saw Rebecca conspire to deceive her husband Isaac into blessing Jacob, her favorite son, over Esau, who was Isaac's favorite son. And this fulfilled what God had declared before the twin boys, Jacob and Esau, were even born, that the older shall serve the younger, the older being Esau and the younger being Jacob. As we've discussed at length in our last few studies, Jacob is a picture of the spirit and Esau is a picture of the flesh. And God's work, the work of salvation, can only be accomplished through a work of the spirit, never through a work of our flesh, only through a work that God does spiritually in us, not through anything we can do in our own strength and efforts. And when we left our story, Esau had hatched a plan to murder Jacob as soon as their father, Isaac, had died, which they expected to happen any day, but would actually take about another 45 years. This week, we're gonna see how God uses this mess and these damaged relationships to work in Jacob's life and move him from where he is to where he needs to be. When it seemed like everything was falling apart in Jacob's life, God was actually doing some of his deepest work in Jacob. And what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8.28 was true for Jacob, and it's true today for you and I as well, that all things, all things work together for good to those who love God, all things. So let's jump into the text. Genesis 27, we'll pick it up in verse 42. Verse 42, we read, and the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. That phrase, I just gotta say, that phrase cracks me up. Your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Because you kind of imagine Esau saying, you know, sometimes I feel pretty down and pretty depressed about the fact that all my blessings have been transferred to my brother Jacob, but, but then I think about murdering him. And you know what? I feel comforted. I feel comforted. <laughs> that's sort of the idea that's going on here. And so Rebecca's like, there's a problem here. Things are not good with your brother right now. So she keeps speaking to Jacob and she tells him, now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? In reality, those few days will turn into 20 plus years and Rebecca will never see Jacob again. She'll die before he has the opportunity to return. As we talked about in our previous studies, Rebecca didn't need to help God do what God had already promised to do, but she did. And it would make such a mess that it would end up costing her her relationship with her son. Verse 46, and Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. So now we change scenes and Rebecca's talking with her husband Isaac and she's talking about the two pagan Canaanite women that their other son Esau married. They didn't love God. They didn't speak the same language as them. They didn't share the same cultural or familial values. And so living with them just broke Rebecca's heart and they brought her nothing but misery. So she goes on and she says to her husband, if Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like those who are the daughters of the land. 
what good will my life be to me? So she says, hey, there's another reason that we should send Jacob to go stay with my family in Haran. There's no good woman around here, Isaac, and I'll just die if Jacob marries one of these daughters of Heth like Esau has. Moving on right into the next chapter, 28 verse one. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him, saying to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. In other words, mom doesn't want you to and I've gotta live with her, so please, don't do this to me. I've got enough problems already, okay? And I think it's worth noting just how early in the Bible we see massive problems resulting from a believer marrying a non-believer. We're not in the New Testament. This is all the way back in the book of Genesis. But the problems it creates are the same as they are today. When a believer marries a non-believer, they find themselves speaking different languages. One speaking from a spirit that has been born again and the other speaking from a spirit that is not. They find themselves having different cultural values. One getting their culture from the word of God and the other getting their culture from the world. And it created heartbreak and angst back then and the same is true today. But for all their clear disagreement about who should have been the chosen, the blessed son, Isaac and Rebecca are on the same page when it comes to sending Jacob to Padan Aram to go and stay with Rebecca's family. Rebecca wants to make sure Esau doesn't murder Jacob and she wants to make sure that Jacob takes a non-pagan wife as well. And so I wanna to suggest to you that Isaac, the dad, might have had a different motivation though. We were told earlier in Genesis that Isaac's favorite son was Esau, a man's man who hunted game and, and loved the outdoors. And Rebecca's favorite was Jacob, who liked hanging around inside and cooking. Now keep in mind that, that they were, at a minimum, one of the wealthiest families in the world. So when we talk about Jacob enjoying cooking, we don't mean like somebody had to do it in the family. They would have had dozens of servants to prepare whatever food they wanted. So what we mean is he enjoyed doing it recreationally. So Isaac looks at Jacob and he says, you know, he says to himself, you know, you're 75 years old, Jacob. You've never had a job. You've never really found any purpose for your life or, or any way to really contribute in a meaningful way. You just hang around the house, you play video games, you bake, you watch HGTV with your mom, and, and the only life plan you seem to have is waiting for me to die so that you can get your inheritance and, and keep doing these things. Jacob, I, th I think it's time for you to leave the nest and figure out what you're gonna do with your life. At 75, it's time, it's time. So when Rebecca comes to Isaac and says, you know, I think he should go to Padan Aram and find a wife, Isaac is like, finally, we're on the same page with this. Yes, absolutely, let's send him on his way. And here's what we know. We know that God would have been undoubtedly for years calling and inviting Jacob to step out in faith and trust him and move out, but, but Jacob would have had no interest in hearing that word from God. And when you've got no interest in hearing a word from God, most of the time you won't hear it from God because you don't even want to consider it. It's going to take the imminent threat of being murdered to get Jacob to actually finally move out of mom and dad's basement. That's the only thing that's going to do it here. Just as in your life and mine, the Lord sometimes desires to do a work that requires us stepping out in faith. But we're not interested because where we are is, is comfortable. So the Lord has to orchestrate events in, in such a way that we have no choice but to step out of our comfort zones and into the place where we have to trust God. So write this down. 
Sometimes God has to force us out of our comfort zones because we won't leave them on our own. We won't leave them on our own. Sad but true. Well, Isaac continues charging Jacob and says, Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Padan Aram is in pretty much modern-day Syria. It's about 450 miles away from where Jacob is right now. And you might recall the name because it's where Abraham's people were actually originally from. And it's where Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to find a wife For Isaac, that wife would be Rebekah, who would be Jacob's mother. So why does Jacob, why does Jacob have to go find a wife when Isaac got Rebekah by a servant being sent to find her and bring her to him? Why does Jacob have to go and look for a wife himself? Well, it's because, as I put on your outlines, the Apostle Paul told us in Philippians 2 that we are to work out your own, underline the word own, your own salvation with fear and trembling. You see, every person's journey to salvation is unique. And every person's journey of growing in faith happens differently. Jacob's journey was not gonna be the same as Isaac. Isaac's issues were not the same as Jacob's. It's not important how it happens, it's just important that it happens, that a person gets to know God and grows in their relationship with him. So write this down. God's work in each of our lives is unique. It's unique. His work in each of our lives is unique. And when we try to tell someone that God's work in their life needs to look exactly the same as his work in ours does, that's legalism. That's legalism, and we want to stay away from that. And by the way, the same thing is true with regard to how the Lord brings a man and a woman together. You know, everybody's story is unique. And I just gotta let you know, if you're single, if you're here, or if you're listening or watching online and you're single, you can get yourself in real trouble by expecting your story of getting married to unfold like somebody else's. You can wait years for your story when your story's not really gonna look like anybody else's. And I, I always hesitate to share the story with people of how Charlene and I met for that reason because we met when we were 16 at youth group, at church, both loved Jesus. First time we saw each other, we both knew we were gonna get married to each other and four years later we did. I don't like to share that story because I'm always terrified someone's gonna hear that and say, that's exactly how it's gonna happen for me. I just know it. And then they spend their life waiting for that person that they're just gonna look at and see. And I know, hey, even when you have that moment, there's a really good chance that they're not gonna have that moment as well. And that can be really, really awkward. So it happens differently. Every person's gonna have their own story and it's gonna be awesome too. God might use online dating for you. He might use a Christian singles ministry. Marriage though is... uh, is especially good for a man. You know, men don't need to grow up so they can get married. Men need to get married so that they can grow up. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Did you notice that it doesn't even say he who finds a good wife? God just says, listen, men, if you can find a woman, like any woman who's willing to marry you, Like, you've done well. You've done well. That's why I believe it's good to get married when you're young before women figure this all out, right? You got to catch them before they get too smart. That's the deal. And, you know, as the quote goes, though, I never knew what happiness was until I got married. And by then it was too late. 
I mean, I, I don't think that. Rick told me that quote. I don't, I don't even understand what it means, but he told me it was funny, so I thought I'd just share it. So Now Isaac, Isaac blesses Jacob as he sets off on his journey, and he says, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebojoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. This is really messed up because he saw that his pagan wives displeased his parents. Esau goes and takes another one. It's just further insight into Esau's heart, which is a picture of the flesh, and he's bitter towards his parents, and he finds a pressure point, and he just pushes it some more. It's also a good spot to remind ourselves of the truth that just because something is documented in the Bible, it doesn't mean that God approves of it. One of the wonderful things about the Bible is that it's honest. It documents the mistakes that people make as well as their moments of victory. And just like we would never assume that the CBC approves of murder because it reports on it, we should never assume that the Bible is approving of something simply because it documents it. You see, when Jesus came on the scene, he made it clear that taking multiple wives, polygamy, was never God's will for men and women. Even though it happened a whole bunch in the Old Testament, pretty much always resulting in headaches and heartache, just because the Bible documents it doesn't mean God approves of it. In fact, the reason the Bible likely documents that is so that we can look at it and pick up the pattern that it always leads to trouble and problems in the family. Verse 10, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. He's now about 50 miles outside of Padan Aram. So he's deep, deep into his journey now. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. So here's what that tells us. If Jacob is using a rock for a pillow, he's not traveling in luxury. He's not traveling with a huge entourage of servants who are setting up an elaborate campsite for him every night. He's not glamping. He's really, really roughing it here. And God's deepest work is always done in us outside of our comfort zones, in the wilderness, because we need to be separated from the things that we trust in rather than the Lord. And in Jacob's case, God has separated him from his relationship with his mother, who really coddled him and comforted him and told him what to do. God has separated Jacob from his security. You might remember Abraham had the most formidable private militia in the world, the most powerful fighting force in the world at one time, and Isaac's wealth and influence only expanded that of his father Abraham. So 
Jacob would have grown up with incredible security around him, literal protection, but now apparently he doesn't really have that anymore. The Lord separated Jacob from his prestige. You might recall where Abraham and Isaac went, people would say, you're, you're a prince, you're a great man, you're a mighty man. You'll recall in our previous study, Isaac gets asked to move on from one territory because he's so powerful, they're scared of him even being there. That's how much power and prestige and reputation he has. But now Jacob is removed from all that and he's on his way to a place where nobody's gonna care about any of that. Nobody's gonna care about who he is. And then lastly, God separates him from his wealth. His family were multi-billionaires by today's standards. But now he, he doesn't even have a pillow. He's got a rock for a pillow. And so God had to separate Jacob from all the things that he had spent his life trusting in. His relationship with his mother, his security, his prestige, his wealth. God had to separate Jacob from all those things in order to get him to the place where he could work in Jacob's life. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us. We'll all go through seasons in life where there's something God wants to do in us, but he cannot do it in us because there are things in our life that we are depending on more than him, whether we realize it or not. And so the Lord has to step in and bring some separation in those areas. It may be temporary or it may be permanent. So write this down. In order for God's deepest work to be done in our lives, he has to separate us from the things we trust in more than him. He has to separate us from the things we trust in more than him. And sometimes it's only being separated from those things that reveals to us that we were trusting in those things more than the Lord. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes everyone around us can see that a relationship in our lives is, is not healthy, it's not God's will for us, it's not good, but we refuse to separate and so the Lord has to step in and bring an end to that relationship. And that's what had to happen in Jacob's relationship with his mother. He was never going to move into the things God had for him as long as he was intimately connected to his mom like that. It was just never going to happen. And so the Lord had to step in and end that relationship. And let me just be clear, this is not me telling you to get a divorce, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I hear what you're saying, Jeff. I hear the Lord speaking through you and I'm gonna do it. Don't do that, okay? But even in a marriage, when one spouse starts depending on the other more than they depend on the Lord, God will step in and do something. He will. He will find a way to remove that dependency that you have on your spouse that you really should have on the Lord. He'll find a way to do it, I guarantee it. Verse 12, then he dreamed and behold a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. We're gonna find that this is no normal dream. This is more like a vision. It's a dream given to Jacob by God. It's clear, it's understandable and it's memorable. And when you look at this verse and check out the original language, the interesting thing is that the focal point of this ladder is earth. It's not heaven. The angels are ascending and descending. They're ascending from earth and descending to the earth. And that's because the Bible tells us that angels are ministering spirits who do much of their work on the earth. They are assigned to believers according to Jesus in Matthew 18. The early church 
had such an awareness of the fact that angels were around them all the time. One of my favorite stories in Acts 12 tells about the time that Peter's in prison and the church in the city is praying. They're interceding, having passionate prayer that God would release Peter from prison. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, there's a knock on the door. And the servant girl, Rhoda, goes and says, who is it? And on the other end of the door comes a voice saying, it's me, Peter. God's freed me from my prison chains and I'm here. Let me in. And she's so excited, she doesn't even open the door. She just runs back and tells everyone in the prayer meeting, Peter, Peter's your, Peter's been set free from prison. Your prayers have been answered. He's standing right outside the door. And what they tell her is they go, oh, you're confused, Rhoda. It's probably just Peter's angel. You know, the angel personally assigned to Peter. And they go on praying. And Peter keeps knocking and eventually they let him in. But here's my point. If somebody told you there's an angel outside the front door, wouldn't you go check that out? They say this as though it's not, first of all, even surprising that there's an angel there. Not surprising that there's an angel there. That happens all the time. And secondly, apparently, they didn't even think it was worth getting up to go look at. They just kept praying like it was no big deal because they understood that indeed angels are all around us. They're with us right now. They're worshiping with us this evening. And Peter would write that when we discuss salvation, the angels lean in to our conversation to listen because they desire to look into those things. They're astounded by God's saving work in us. They're like them? Really? I don't understand. I want to know more. And so when we talk about salvation, they listen in. Paul would write to the church and he would say, listen, when you're in a church meeting and the spirit is moving, woman, remember to dress modest and stay appropriate because angels are present. Paul would write that. And his reason would be that angels are very sensitive to things being done decently and in order because they watched a third of their brothers in heaven be cast out of heaven with Lucifer when things got out of order. They watched what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord and things got out of order. Angels are ministering spirits. They're on the earth and they're assigned to believers, you and I. And parents, it's a great comfort to know that your children have angels assigned to watch over them. That's not just nice hyperbole. Jesus told us that. And some of our kids are keeping them real busy, by the way. <laughs> and I'm thankful that the Lord has assigned angels to us. Now on a different but, but no less practical note, the word ladder in verse 12 really refers to something more like a, like a staircase than a ladder. And I just want to mention that in case you're reading this and you're like, you know, I'd love to write, I'd love to write a song about this. I just think that a song about a ladder to heaven isn't going to be very catchy, but if maybe, maybe something about a staircase or a stairway to heaven, it might just sell a little bit better. Just a thought, just my two cents on that. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it in this dream that Jacob's having and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Underline your descendants. Here we see God repeating the same promise to Jacob that he gave to his father Isaac and to Isaac's father Abraham. And when God says your descendants, what does that mean? What does that tell Jacob? Well, it tells him, number one, you're going to find a wife, and you guys are going to have kids. 
and God is gonna keep him alive through this whole journey and there's gonna be good at the end of this. Verse 14, also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. There'll be that many of them. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As we pointed out before, the word seed there is actually singular in the original language. It's referring to Jesus when God says, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 15 God says, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. God promises Jacob his presence. God promises Jacob his protection. And God promises Jacob his preservation. And when does God do all of this? When does he do all of this for Jacob? While Jacob's sleeping. While he's sleeping, not while he's working or doing anything remotely useful, not even during a productive season of his life. He was running away from his brother because he had messed up that relationship so badly his own brother wanted to kill him. What's my point? My point's that God is gracious and that everything he does for us is because he's good, not because we're good, not because of anything we do, He's just good. So write this down. God's grace comes to Jacob, same way it comes to us, when Jacob has nothing to offer. When Jacob has nothing to offer. And why did God only tell all this to Jacob now? Why did he wait till Jacob was 75? Because Jacob wasn't even ready to listen until God separated him from the things that he had been trusting in instead of trusting in the Lord. And do you notice that God promised to give Jacob back everything that it seemed as though Jacob has lost? He promised to give it all back to him and more. And the reason for that is because there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with security. There's nothing wrong with prestige unless unless you trust in those things more than you trust in the Lord. And so the Lord separates Jacob from those things. He takes him on this journey, and in the coming years as Jacob grows year after year in his trust of the Lord, his dependence on the Lord, he's gonna get to the point where God says, okay, now I can bless you with all those things because I know that you're gonna keep depending on me more than you depend on them. I've said it before, why aren't we all millionaires? Because most of us, if we were, we'd end up trusting the money more than we trust God. It's just the truth about most of us, including me. And so God has to keep us in the place where we trust him more than we trust anything else because that is the best thing for us. And our heavenly father only ever does the best thing for us because he's a good father. In John 1, Jesus spoke to Nathanael about this part of scripture You might remember this, and he told him, most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Speaking about himself, Jesus was saying, remember the story of Jacob's ladder, Nathaniel? I'm the ladder. I'm the connection between heaven and earth. I'm the way to heaven. Through me, the kingdom of heaven is connected to the kingdom of earth. Just as the word says, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that's what Jesus was telling Nathaniel. I'm the ladder. I'm the way to heaven, Nathaniel. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, if you underline nothing else, underline this. 
Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Do not miss the tense that Jacob uses. He does not say, surely the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. You see, Jacob understood that he had been given a glimpse into how things are all the time. There's activity going on in the spiritual realm that we cannot see or perceive with our eyes. And the blessing of Jacob's dream is that it caused him to realize that the Lord was with him even when he did not know it. Even when he did not feel it, surely the Lord is in this place. And somebody in here, Somebody listening, somebody watching needs to grab a hold of that truth. You really need to grab a hold of that. Because the shock to Jacob was that he knew he was a swindler. He knew he was a scoundrel. He knew he was a a trickster, a deceiver, a conniver. And he thought as he was on this journey, there's no way that God is having anything to do with me right now. Not in this season of my life. Not where I am right now. And God said, Jacob, let me show you something. And the Lord opened up Jacob's eyes to the reality that the Lord is always with those who are his wherever they go. Jacob was in a pit of his own making and he thought, this is not where God hangs out. Not here, not in places like this, not with people like me. But after the Lord opens his eyes all Jacob can say is surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. Now listen to me church. The Lord did not come to you the first time because you finally got yourself into a good place. The Lord did not come to you because you finally figured out how to be good and got your life together and fixed all the things that were wrong with you. That's not how it happened. He came to you and me in mercy, in grace, when we did not deserve it, when we were on an express lane heading toward death, when we were hopeless, when we had nothing to offer. That's when he came to us the first time. That's when God found us. That's when his spirit made a home in us. And that's when he brought us into the family of God and made us sons and daughters. So if you think God is ever going to leave you because you managed to find your way back into a mess, back into a pit, then you're suffering from short-term memory loss because that's where he found you the first time. And today, if you've been feeling like God has left you, the Lord wants to open your eyes so that you don't leave today without looking at your life right now, whatever it looks like right now, and understanding, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. He's here with me now. I'm a scoundrel, I'm a mess, I've blown it again. I'm in another pit that I dug for myself, but somehow, some way, God, you're here. You're with me. Write this down. Jacob was floored by the realization that God was with him, even in the middle of his mess. He was absolutely blown away by the reality that God was with him in this situation, in this place, in this phase, in this stage, in this season. What did Paul say in Romans 8? He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And then he would go on to say, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you might think, how can that be possible? How can God possibly be with me after what I've done? In light of what I'm doing right now, how can it be that he's here, that he's still with me? The answer is in the beginning of Romans 8. Romans 8 begins with the words, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the answer. There's no separation because there's no condemnation. Whatever you think you've done that would cause separation between you and God, it's been dealt with, it's been covered by the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. There's no condemnation. He never leaves you, he never forsakes you. He's with you now, calling you out of the pit you're in, lifting you out of the pit you're in, into a better future where he's your everything. That's what he's doing right now. He's with you because anything and everything you've done, anything and everything you're doing, anything and everything you will do that could separate you from him has been taken care of by the blood of Jesus on the cross. That's how he's with you now. That's why he's with you now. Make a note of this. There's no separation between us and God because there's no condemnation. There's no separation between us and God because there's no condemnation. Verse 17, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Immediately we see this change in Jacob. First thing he does is he's up early having morning devotions the next day. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. In Hebrew, Beth means house, El means God. Bethel just means house of God. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Jacob is not making a, a deal with God here. He's not saying if you do this, then I'll do that. It's a little, little bit lost in translation, but what's happening is Jacob is astounded by the goodness of God toward him in his undeserving state. And what he's saying is, God, this is, this is unbelievable. But if what you're saying is really true, God, if, if you'll have me, if it's really true that you'll be with me and keep me in this way I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, if you're gonna do all that, then unquestionably, you're, you're my God. You'll be my God. He's a picture of the believer and this is his moment of salvation, the moment he gives his life to the Lord and commits to follow the Lord as his God because this is what salvation looks like. It's not that we strike a deal with God and barter our life for his. It's that we're so floored by what God has done for us that offering our lives to him 
is the only reasonable response, and that's why we do it. It's the natural response. That's what Jacob is doing here. Write this down. A picture of the believer. Jacob is so overwhelmed by God's goodness that he freely gives his life to God. He's so overwhelmed by God's goodness that he freely gives his life to God. If you understand at all what Jesus has done for you, giving your life to him is the only only natural response you're going to have. Verse 22, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And then underline this, I'm gonna be watching. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. I will surely give a tenth to you. And I want you to underline that because it's the last half of the last verse in the chapter. And I want you to understand that I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not making the text do this. The Holy Spirit put the word of God together by his will, put the things he wanted in there. And if this is in there, it's because the Lord wanted us to know what happened after Jacob's conversion, what happened after he gave his life to the Lord. Well, we see immediately he gives his life to the Lord. He's up the next day worshiping God. There's a desire to worship, to fellowship with the Lord. And then we see there's an immediate change about the way he views his possessions. They now belong to the Lord. And he just spontaneously, voluntarily begins tithing the next day because he's so overwhelmed by the goodness of God and he just wants to do it. It's the same heart response we saw from Abraham when he encountered Melchizedek, who we believe was actually an appearance of Jesus. And there are those who will say, hey, you know, tithing's an Old Testament commandment. It doesn't apply to us anymore because we're not under the Old Covenant. But we see now both Abraham and Jacob tithing to the Lord as a heart response voluntarily hundreds of years before the law was given by God to Israel. And we also notice that while Abraham started tithing when he was ludicrously wealthy, Jacob starts tithing when he has next to nothing. He's sleeping with his head on a rock. And Jacob doesn't say, I'm so blown away by your kindness, Lord. I'm going to start tithing when I have more money and my finances are more stable. He just starts where he's at with what he has when he has that encounter with God. And I know this may be uncomfortable for some of you, but you need to know I'm so comfortable making you uncomfortable if you're not obeying God. I am so comfortable with that, if you haven't figured that out by now. There's a connection between trusting God with the tithe and giving your life to Jesus. Now, please understand, it's not that tithing saves you. It's not that at all. What I'm saying is that it's an evidence that he has saved you, just like the fruit of the Spirit. It's an evidence, not the evidence. It's an evidence that a heart change has taken place. And when a person says, I'm saved, I've given my life to the Lord. Salvation has come into my heart. He is now my everything. But that never translates into their finances. Something's off. We just gotta be real. Something's off. My whole life belongs to him. What about that? Not that. Something's off. And so if you're not tithing and you've given your life to Jesus, you need to start. And I always wanna say this when I talk about it so that you don't think I'm trying to get your money. If you think that, Seriously, I mean this. Go to another church, tithe there. Because you obeying the Lord, you growing in your faith and trust of the Lord is way more important 
than you staying in my church. Way more important. So if you think this is me trying to get your money, go to another church, go tithe at that church because I'd rather see you grow in the Lord and take that step of faith. It's not about money, it's about an attitude of the heart and we see in Jacob there's just this immediate change and a desire to honor the Lord with his finances and his possessions. So make a note of this. Part of Jacob's natural response to his salvation is tithing, is tithing. It's part of his natural response. Let me say this in conclusion today. You know, you might think that you're in a hopeless place. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know there's some people here, the numbers tell me that. There's people listening or watching online who who feel like you're in a hopeless place, but What's really going on is God has pulled you out of your comfort zone and he separated you from the things that you've trusted in more than you've trusted him. Whether you realize it or not, he's begun to separate you from those things so that he can do a deep, good work in your life that's going to bless you in the long run in incredible ways. And you might have been thinking, this is a God-forsaken place I'm in. This season of my life, this place, it's just God forsaken. But today the Lord wants to open your eyes to the truth that he's at work in your life so that your perspective on your situation changes and you can see the truth that's gonna make you confess, surely the Lord is in this place. He's in this season of my life and I did not know it. And if the Lord is in this place, if he's in this season of your life, then anything's possible. Anything is possible. Healing is possible. Deliverance is possible. Freedom is possible. Restoration is possible. If the Lord is in this place, and he is, he is. If you're his, he is, I guarantee it. More importantly, he promises it. With that, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that your promise to us is that you never leave us. You never forsake us. And not only that, Lord, but you are working to do good in our lives. You're causing all things to work together for good. There is no arbitrary or meaningless or random trial that we are going through. You are doing something in and through all of it. And Father, as scary as it is, Lord, we want to have this confession that if there is anything in our life that we are depending on more than you, if there is anything we are trusting in more than you, Lord, please do whatever you need to do to turn us back to you, to turn us back to you so that we trust in you completely and totally. Because Lord, we know inevitably when our faith is in anything other than you, we're destined for disappointment. That job will let us down. That house we dream of will not be enough. Lord, even our spouse will not be enough to ever replace you. And so, Lord, we also understand that we can't even enjoy all those things which are gifts from you when we put them in a place that is meant to be occupied by only you. So, Father, if there's anything in our lives in the position that should only belong to you, We just ask that you do whatever you need to do to make that right so that our trust is in you, that our faith is in you, that our hope is in you, Jesus. 
that our peace is in you, that our joy is in you, that our self-worth and our purpose is in you, Jesus. As difficult as it may be at time, Lord, we, we welcome your work in our lives. We welcome it, Lord, knowing that it's for our good. So do your work in us, Jesus. And Father, I pray right now as, as we pray and as we worship that you would just speak to us. If there's any here among us, Lord, that has been feeling like they're in a God-forsaken place or season of life in any area of their life, would you just minister your peace to them? Would you remind them that you're there with them, that you're doing a good thing? And where we don't have all the answers, Lord, help us to remember that you're good. And that's enough of an answer. We might not know what you're doing, but we know you're good. And we know that you're doing good. So help us to trust, Lord. Help us to trust, Jesus. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.